The Clone Wars 2D microseries started in 2003 and led up to the events of Revenge of the Sith. Winning three Emmy Awards in its short run, the series was finally put on Disney Plus this year, giving old and new fans the chance to experience the groundbreaking series. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we are finally and exclusively talking all about Gendy Tartakovsky's The Clone Wars 2D Micro Series from 2003. I'm so excited to talk about this because this has been when I first got really into Star Wars. I was really all about the series, and when I first got into it, it was around Revenge of the Sith time, and I didn't really have anyone to talk about this with, so I feel like I've like kind of left my love of this series kind of like simmering under the surface for so long, and I'm just happy that we get an opportunity to talk about it now on the podcast. We've talked about it in different forums. like We've talked about it during our animation series that we did last summer, but never fully in a way that we focused exclusively on it, and... With the Vintage Collection launching on Disney+, Plus, which I love this whole collection idea. I think that the the formatting on Disney+, Plus is so fun and cool. And I'm, I've gotten to experience some Star Wars that I haven't ever experienced. And same with you. And it's just kind of a fun gift. So I'm really excited to talk about this with you. Yeah, I think it's really great. I think the Star Wars, the Disney Plus Vintage Collection is really great. And I hope they continue to add to it because it really does give people an opportunity like just to have access to these kinds of things that you really can't find on the market anymore, especially as fewer and fewer people have like VHS players (laughs) and stuff like the Ewok movies. I don't think those were ever put on DVD. Uh, Someone else would know. I don't know, but yeah, maybe (laughs) it was like bold claim. I don't know. I don't know about (laughs) that. I'm sure they're expensive on eBay though. And I would put money on that if they're on DVD. But I think it's great that we can – because the thing is, is like I've seen the Shooting Maker series, but I've never seen all of it. Um, and I've only seen pieces of it on your video iPod from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. IPod 2006. Video. iPod Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the only place that I've ever seen uh, the Clone Wars 2D Micro series. So imagine my shock at seeing it on a big screen. <laughs> <laughs> it looks really good. I'm not going to lie. It, it looks does. really good on a big screen. It does. Yeah, I think having the vintage collection on Disney Plus is really great because while a lot of these things I've only seen clips from or pieces of it, and especially like the Clone Wars Tuning Micro series, we're going to talk about it later, but the only place I've ever seen it aside from clips on YouTube is I actually watching it on your uh, video, iPod video. (laughs) And uh, so it was definitely a treat seeing it up on the big screen. (laughs) Before we get started in our discussion of the Clone Wars or Clone Wars without the article, I just, (laughs) Kayla and I were talking about this before (laughs) that we were recording, but the major difference in when you're discussing Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars The Clone Wars is the the. (laughs) And it always trips me up because First off, I think it's funny that they dropped, that they added the the for the difference maker. And now I always, I don't know, I struggle with it because I say the Clone Wars. It's hard. So you're going to hear that throughout. And we're talking about the Clone Wars 2D micro series unless otherwise dated. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I wanted to say thank you for all of your amazing and super kind comments about our nesting order episode, which came out two and a half weeks ago now. And I feel like we've been a little slow to upload episodes recently, but we're getting back to it. Okay, no worries. (laughs) And I just am really, I know Caitlin is too. We're both really grateful for all of the wonderful comments. We had so many people discussing the nesting order and eager to try it out for themselves. So if you do that watching order, please let us know. Send us an email. We are loving hearing your experiences and stories. And for the most part, it sounds like you all really like it. So thank you again for all your comments. Yeah, it was a really kind of overwhelming response, I think. Um, it's been, I think it's had like like the most engagement uh-huh. on Twitter. Like to, yeah, it's to put like a businessy term on it, but it was really cool to see everyone's uh, reactions, like first impressions of just seeing like the order. And it is just like another version of a machete order. So it's, it's not completely brand new by any means, but it was really fun to watch it for us. And um, a couple people have been uh, letting us know as they've been watching the films in that order. So it's been really fun to follow along with some of you that are doing it. So like Charlotte said, if if any of you are trying it, please let us know or even pieces of it because I know some of the transitions you don't really hear about a lot or I didn't never had transitioned between like The Last Jedi and A New Hope before. Um, but that one turned out to be a really great transition. So even if you do like a mini version of it, please, please tell us. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get going into talking about the Clone Wars 2D micro series. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the first impressions we had with rewatching this and also just a bit of history. And in part two, we're going to be talking all about volume one. And in part three, we're going to be talking about volume two. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. Okay. So welcome to part one, where we're going to be talking about our first impressions and history. So let's talk a little bit about Clone Wars Star Wars Clone Wars. First off, I think that we're in a position now where we can talk about Gandhi Tartakovsky's Clone Wars in a like a retrospective way because we have both a complete Gendi Clone Wars version and a complete The Clone Wars. And I think it's really interesting as huge fans of the Clone Wars series that came out the 3D version. I think that we are now able to kind of look back upon this and be like, you know, this was the beginning of something that really changed our fandom. It's fun to look back and think about, I don't know, to trace the history a little bit. The series exists for a couple of reasons. We talked about this in our animation, in our animation series last summer, but the series kind of has two purposes. Number one, it was created to fill in the gap of three years in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith story-wise, but also to keep the merchandise flowing between those long three years of no Star Wars. This is kind of the thesis statement of our animation series, but just to round it out, is animation and Star Wars and merchandising has have always had this um, mutuality about it. It always goes hand in hand. I think it's no secret that merchandising and toys and everything like that is just part of Star Wars and Star Wars history. So I think George Lucas was really thrilled to be able to explore the anime style that Gendy Tartakovsky brought to his other works like Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory with Star Wars and the Clone Wars, which is obviously an era that was alluded to by Ben Kenobi in A New Hope and 
had been so mythologized for so long within Star Wars, you know, and the truth is, is like it wasn't covered in the prequel trilogy, right? We start the Clone Wars and we end the Clone Wars. So to have some sort of bridge in between was interesting and really fun. And the first volume were shorts of two to three minutes. And I think the major complaint was, wow, these are so good and so entertaining. And they're so short. <laughs> and the second volume was like a, a second order. It was like, okay, George Lucas likes this. This was good. We're going to continue to go back and make more of these. And these are going to be 10 to 12 minute shorts that really tie into Revenge of the Sith. So they were given some like story exclusives and were able to kind of build that up, including in uh, General Grievous and characters that were um, introduced in Revenge of the Sith. So it's interesting because like there's a lot of whispers and rumors going around <laughs> when you kind of research the series on on Reddit and in articles that don't really have any proof. But I believe this sort of that Gendi Tartakovsky was sort of being groomed to be uh, take like to sort of take over Lucasfilm Animation and basically be the Dave Filoni that we know today. But he didn't like the exclusivity that went with that, and therefore Allegedly. he. Allegedly, all of this is alleged, right? And, um, but I can totally see that, and that's why Dave Filoni was approached after that um, to go forth with Lucasfilm Animation, which again was founded, and the Clone Wars started production. Like, if you remember the whole like legendary conversation with Dave Filoni and George Lucas, and like that that phone call that happened um, for like an exploratory interview for Dave was right before Revenge of the Sith came out. So this is like early 2005 when they were thinking about doing a 3D version of the Clone Wars. So after that, Gendi, like before that, Gendi was like out of the picture. And uh, yeah, so that's the brief history. Um, I never watched it when it was on the air. I watched it after I saw Revenge of the Sith and I was like obsessed with Anakin and Padme and I had to like figure out on Wikipedia, I was on Wikipedia, like where is everything that Padme has appeared in, have to watch this. And so then I downloaded on my iPod <laughs> the the cartoons um, and I like only bought the specific ones where she was in it. And then I bought the whole thing, obviously, and I watched them all in my bedroom when I was like, 11 on my small little iPod. I remember this really, uh, I don't know, it's so weird. I was like kind of ashamed to watch it. And for no reason, obviously, I think you should love what you love. Um, <laughs> and I was just really, I enjoyed it so much. And I, like I said earlier in the show, like I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it until Caitlin got into Star Wars with me. And I was like, this is so good. And I don't think you ever watched it, but we I showed you some clips of it on my iPod. <laughs> so yeah, the, another funny thing about that, I know I'm like monologuing here, but I purchased those on iTunes in 2005, right? Okay. You used to be able to buy like TV shows. It's like a, such a weird thing. You can still do that now, obviously, but it's just not as popular with like streaming and everything like that. So I bought those. And then in like 2008, they took them off iTunes, but they still lived on the hard drive of my computer. And for years up until this year, no joke, I have been 
moving that from hard drive to hard drive through computer to computer that I've owned since 2005 because <laughs> I I was like I don't want to lose this. I only I have like the version that isn't on YouTube, you know. And of course I think you could buy like the DVD versions, but I don't have a DVD player, which is weird. And <laughs> I was like I want these iTunes versions and it's it became this sort of like rite of passage for me. And then this year I accidentally deleted them earlier this year off I know I know and then like a week later they were like we're putting it on Disney plus (laughs) you didn't tell me you deleted them (laughs) yeah I deleted them (laughs) when I upgraded my computer and changed iOS it's really bad oh my god I know I need more space iPod version (laughs) I know I know it's so crazy so it's Wow, breaking it's news, weird. listeners, for all of us. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. But it's it's just this like weird badge of honor. It's like I have them on my hard drive. And Hi. now I don't really need them because they're on Disney Plus for now, mm-hmm. I guess. But I love them. Okay, so I want to know. I'm dying to know, Caitlin. What did you think about watching this whole thing? I liked it. I really enjoyed watching it. I will say volume two was definitely my favorite out of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's like I think I've watched like I probably watched whatever clips you had on your iPod as you got them or in like some random order or honestly we probably just skipped around a bunch. <laughs> so it's like and and I've seen it's like in fan videos and I've watched like clips and stuff on YouTube, but I've never like watched it all the way together like in the order that it actually goes in or at least not well enough to know it by heart. So I think it was a really good experience. I watched it um, this weekend, uh, the week that we recorded, and I had a good time with it. And I think it was really cool kind of being able to compare it, especially volume two with everything with Anakin and Obi-Wan, of course, is my favorite part. And uh, kind of comparing the kidnapping of Palpatine and kind of seeing how that plays out um, in, of course, 2020's <laughs> Clone Wars, the final season, season seven, and how they st- like each story is still kind of like in a way they can still kind of exist together. Um, and I think it was cool comparing them. And I had a really good time. I think it's a beautiful series. And it's really nice to see Like, that's the great thing about Star Wars animation is all of these different stories kind of existing in different styles. And it was really great to have this this 2D version of the Clone Wars um, and of Anakin and Obi-Wan. And I don't know, I think it's I think it's a really cool kind of piece of Star Wars animation that we have that for as short as it is, relatively speaking to other pieces of animation and series and stuff um it has such like a large following and like a really loyal fan base which i think is great i think the whole development of the clone wars is really fascinating because of course like you said george didn't actually cover the clone wars in the films and it always reminds me i feel like i bring up this quote a lot now but dave filoni in the mandalorian disney gallery talking about boba fett and before like Boba Fett was introduced in the Mandalorian, like officially um, for season one in the behind the scenes features. And he was talking about like how, um, or I think he was actually talking about the cantina scene. And he was like, it doesn't really matter what the characters did on screen. It was like what they did in my head and like what they did in my imagination and like how just like dozens of fans of Star Wars, like latched onto these, to these things, not randomly, but like imagining what the Clone Wars were, for example, for so long. Like, I feel like you hear a lot of people who experienced the original trilogy in real time, like talk about how they were always kind of like, okay, like what was the Clone Wars? And, and even like Boba Fett, like seeing Boba Fett, like who is Boba Fett? And then George just like kind of doesn't, 
address either of those things. <laughs> and that also kind of brings us back to the larger conversation of like George not making Star Wars for fans and kind of distancing himself from fan conversation. And what's great now, and it's always like that kind of that, uh, that line, right, I think of, of creators and like how much you're pulling into your own nostalgia and memories. But like now those creators who like wondered who Boba Fett was for so long or who wondered what the Clone Wars were for so long, um, they got to like help create it. Like, of course, we're seeing that in the book of Boba Fett now, but like now back in 2003, it was actually like getting to explore what the Clone Wars was um what it was and what it meant to anakin and obi-wan and um there were a couple behind the scenes features that we watched with gendy and he was talking about it he was like you know as a kid you hear obi-wan like say like we were friends and we fought in the clone wars and then you never really see that camaraderie between them as they would have been like during that wartime in the film and he's like and now we get to create it and i don't know i think that's like a really cool aspect of star wars that one that like collectively fans all kind of like tend to gravitate towards similar things a lot Mm -hmm. of the times like Boba Fett like the Clone Wars um and then George does not gravitate towards those things not at all not at all (laughs) I don't know I, I I just thought it was an interesting kind of comparison um and thinking about, of course, we're always thinking about like how Star Wars is made, who is making it, and kind of the lens that they're um, looking through as far as like their own experience and nostalgia with Star Wars and the things that they fixate on too. The things that if they do have a nostalgic relationship to it, what were their favorite things about it? That's probably going to make its way into whatever Star Wars they're making now, you know? I, I don't know. Um, I think that's such like an interesting part of this franchise and the Clone Wars is kind of like a really early first example of that, of kind of retroactively coming back and taking time to address something that like from George Lucas that didn't really get addressed in the films. If yeah, that makes and sense. I, it, it, it makes sense, but it's also was happening in real time, but it was like he knew that he wasn't going to address it. So it's interesting because yeah. I, 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 again, I didn't watch at least volume one when it was on TV but I wonder if it was like, oh, I think this is just going to be like a glimpse of the Clone Wars and then maybe we'll see a little bit of it in Revenge of the Sith. Like that's the rumor. And that's not exactly false. It's just we didn't – I think now in 2021 when we're like looking back, we're like, oh, we have we have seven whole seasons of the Clone Wars plus the micro series plus a film and books and <laughs> all these things, you know. Yeah. It's a very – it's a very stuffed um, – two and a half years yeah and I think that it's it's interesting because it it wasn't originally and I kind of want to take us back a little bit to the fandom that we were experiencing when we got really into Star Wars and like the attitude about this micro series because for me people love this like you mentioned this it has a huge following and even when people compare the two today there's so many people who are like this one's better than the new one And that always surprises me because I feel like they're just radically different in basically almost any way. I think they're both good. (laughs) Uh, But I I don't, I'm not going to be shy and say that it's no secret that Caitlin and I are fully obsessed with the, you know, the Clone Wars, the 2008, 2000. Yeah. Like it's, it's our thing. Um, So (laughs) I think that when, when the new Clone Wars was announced as, becoming a thing i remember the attitude in fandom and on on boards and like me checking starwars.com every day was like 
what I can't believe they would remake it. Like, why would they remake it? Why, why would they do that? Like, why wouldn't they just make episodes seven, eight, nine? Like, what are they doing with this? This We already have it. Um, And for me, I was always like, well, I think they can both exist. Also, why not? Like, let's make a long form TV series. I think that was always kind of my thing. I was like, let's make it cool. Make it awesome. Like, not just a two minute short form series. Right. I was like, let's lengthen it. Let's dive deeper into Anakin's character. And of course, like that gets into the fandom when Ahsoka was announced as being a Padawan of Anakin. And the whole conversation in fandom was, I can't believe he didn't have that in the Clone Wars or the two, the Clone Wars 2D micro series. That wasn't a thing. So how are, are we just forgetting about that? And I think that's a valid argument in a way. Like, I think it's sad when you like sort of decanonize something, of course. But for me, at least in those beginning seasons of the new Clone Wars, I was always like, these things can exist side by side. And I feel like the creators themselves like would say that because the volume one at least dealt with Anakin as a Padawan and volume two dealt with like really close to Revenge of the Sith. And we just weren't exploring those time periods when in the Clone Wars we meet Anakin and he's After already he's a, knight. a knight. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like these things are in conversation with each other, even if one was sort of decanonized and one was held above it. So in my head, I was like, these things exist. And now in 2021, it's really hard for me to separate stuff that I experienced and was like taking in when I was younger and really into like getting started in fandom and like it's really hard for my brain to separate legends and canon these days and I think that's just like me getting older and like there's just so much Star Wars that it's not like you know I I, I feel so weird when I say that but I just think that when there's just so much Star Wars it's like really hard for me to keep track of but I still think that like I was obsessed with so many different aspects of this series, but it's really interesting to think back about that time, about like, the arguments that were begun when the Dave Filoni Clone Wars was in existence and getting started up. And it still happens. And I mean, I can still think about like when, you know, uh, TV reporters that I've and reviewers that I've watched on YouTube before would compare the two. And I would always be like, you can't compare them. You just can't. They're both good. It's just they're both good. And they both have served different purposes. And it, I think it's unfair, too, to compare, you know, something like this, which is two hours and 20 minutes, versus a series that is seven years yeah. more than that now. But, you know, you know, it's just they're completely different beasts. And right. um, it's hard to compare them, I think. I think that at this juncture, feeling like I uh, – I don't want to say no George Lucas better, but headcanon about him in like a much more uh, like holistic feel. I don't I don't really know how to describe it. Like obviously I don't know George Lucas and everything I know is what is like put out there by people with their own biases and, and objectives and agendas, right? But I feel like one, George Lucas never likes to do the same thing twice. You know, I feel like in whatever he's doing, he's always pushing the envelope somewhere or exploring some different avenue. And once he's ready to, like, explore a different avenue, like, he's done. <laughs> you know, like, it's time <laughs> yeah. to move on. And I think when you hear George Lucas, like, in the behind-the-scenes features that we were talking about um, that we watched for 
for this series, particularly like around this time, like 2004, 2005, George, like a lot of what George is talking about is that he's really excited about the art style. And he's really excited about this like melding of anime and 2D animation and how Tartakovsky is known for that. And he's really good at kind of bridging those two styles. And that's something that he's really um, like that's what he was looking for. He wanted to see what these things looked like together and what they looked like with Star Wars. That was kind of how he talked about it. And then when you get into volume two, of course, that's when he's like, oh, this is an opportunity to continue that because it was so popular. And we can, you know, throw it, let's throw in Grievous. <laughs> let's, let's like really explore his character more as we're leading up to the events of Revenge of the Sith, when obviously he's going to be a player in it. And, and then I will say too, so, Big news, guys. I finally got my prequels, the archives book, the Star Wars archives book, the prequels. Literally, I, I got this ordered in November of last year. I'm so happy <laughs> um, it arrived. It was a Christmas present, and it finally came at the end of I was March. really thinking it wasn't going to arrive, Caitlin. I, I'm going to be real. I was giving up. <laughs> I was I was giving up. And, and we ordered it through Amazon, too. And it was like, we didn't want to cancel the order because we had it. My, it was a Christmas present, right? And um, I told my mom. And I got the archive, the original trilogy one. So, like, my family was – my parents were well aware that this is, like, an expensive <laughs> book. And I told yeah, my mom. I was like <laughs> – They were aware. Yeah. I was like, if you pre-order this, it's going to be, like, 50 to $70 off. And so we pre-ordered it. And I knew it was coming for Christmas. And it was like, if we cancel the order – then we'll have to pay the full price. <laughs> and it was like, we didn't want to cancel the order because I mean, a whole thing. Anyway, it finally came. And um, it's beautiful, like 100% worth your money. Oh my God, it's an amazing book. Um, but the whole connection point here, why I'm even talking about this, is because in the book, right, it, it's of course, it's the prequel archives book. So we're talking a lot about like the digital technology and how all that's developing. And you see, particularly what I'm thinking of, there are these screenshots of um, when they're testing like the CG for Obi-Wan, Mace, and Yoda, that scene Revenge of the Sith of them walking through the Jedi Temple. And it looks so much like the Clone Wars. Like, it's, like, early CG for those scenes. Like, of course, like, not finished at all. But you can already see, like, it really does look like something from the Clone Wars. Like, an early version of the Clone Wars, uh, the 2008 version. And I don't know. It's, like, you can kind of see George Lucas's, like, the wheels turning in his head of, like, yeah. yeah, let's keep pushing this. Like, look what we're doing here. Like, if we just refine this a little more in, like, animation, totally. that would be amazing. And You know? And it's, like, oh, okay. Like, I did that thing with the anime. And now I want to, like, the anime 2D animation. And now I want to switch gears and try, like, this 3D thing because we worked yeah, on it so much. Yeah, personally fund it myself, too. Yeah, yeah not the yeah. Cartoon Network. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, I can I can just see that switch in his head of, like, all right, now I'm going to do this. <laughs> and mm -hmm. He just does it, you know? And then, of course, when you look at, like, the greater picture of Star Wars 2, it's, like, okay, our last animated series, really, new, was Resistance, which, you know, in a way, kind of came a little bit full circle back to that 2D anime esque style um like that's what it was inspired by and was trying to evoke and yeah. i don't know i just i think it's all like when you're kind of tracing these things through like these little bits and pieces like you were saying of like reddit threads and youtube comments <laughs> and then like little screenshots from a book that i ordered six months ago that finally arrived <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't know i think it's fun to kind of put these things together and we do have such like a a breadth of research and material to pull on with star wars um yeah. anyway i don't really know what we were talking about originally but 
I like the series. I think it's a beautiful series. And I'm glad we have it available. <laughs> yeah, I just one final thing. I think I mentioned this earlier, but I really do think that watching the series on my tiny little iPod, okay, we're talking the ones that still have the wheels, right? Not like those things yeah. that look like an iPhone these days. Like we're at this tiniest screen imaginable, like maybe an inch and a half long. When you watched that, when you purchased it, you would buy each individual two-minute clip. So you have to watch the intro in the beginning and everything, the intro that plays before volume one and volume two. It was really nice that they cinched it together for this version. And I'm I'm pretty sure this this cut exists on like a DVD somewhere, but it was nice for me to revisit in this way because it really did feel like a complete piece. And that was sort of missing for me, at least the first time I watched it, about like that complete piece ability, honestly. Yeah. I looked up the iPod video now mm-hmm. just to see what its dimensions were. One, it got discontinued in 2014, which yeah, yeah. Anyway, and uh, the display was two inches. <laughs> yep. Yes. Exactly. Oh wait, that was the monochrome. I'm sorry, you didn't have the monochrome. So no, I had the older one. It was whatever one was out in 2005. 2.5 inches. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so small okay <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and i don't think you had this bit or did you the storage went up to 160 yeah i had the hugest one yeah i'm pro ipod just if we're talking about this i miss the ipod i even had one that i kept in my car for the aux cord when i got my license in 2010 <laughs> like i i just feel like the ipod I like having a place to put all my music and not just live it like let it live digitally, but that's something I've had to let go of and that's how I feel about the Clone Wars Charlotte, 2D the, micro series too. The newest <laughs> Spotify user in the world. Yeah, truly. <laughs> this is a big step. <laughs> it comes back, it all comes full circle. It really does. It really does. Okay, let's talk about each volume. All right, welcome to part two, where we're talking about volume one <laughs> of uh, Tartakovsky's The Clone Wars 2D Micro Series. So I'm going to ask you, where are we, Charlotte? Who are the Jedi in this series? Who's Anakin? Who are the Sith? Well, I think it's interesting because who are the Jedi in this series? I feel like they're less corrupt than the... Corrupt is a, is a harsh word, okay? I know that out of the gate, but they're less complicated than they are in... Dave Filoni's Clone Wars, okay? They are, because we don't have as much time, you know? They are awesome. They are badasses. They have cool lightsaber movements. And the politics is less complicated because there's not enough time. But I think Yoda's guiding words about, like, the dark side is clouding everything, blah, 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 are, like, felt throughout this entire volume. They, I think we even open with that, like, fire across the galaxy, the Clone War spreads. I remember that. I, I think that's in this, at least. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm doubting myself. But I, I, I feel like um, Jedi here are seen as warriors, you know. I think there's something so funny about the fact that the clones, in at least in the very beginning of Volume 1, joust (laughs) like they're given like jousting weapons and i think that to me shows the heightened knight status that they're really showing of the jedi here at least right in the beginning they're really trying to demonstrate the grand scale of the war but also how violent it is i think with the these artistic anime style explosions that are so beautiful i don't know what do you think caitlin 
this series, this volume, right, is way more action based. I mean, it of course has story, but I think the action really stands out in volume one. Um, and they even talk about that. Um, Gendy does when he's talking about the development of the series of like, well, you know, they're like you said, they're two to three minutes. Most of what we're doing is like fighting choreography. And I think that that's what really stands out to me for volume one. And I think that the like the the choreography of the fighting is so fluid, like it, especially when you compare it, honestly, to like season one of the Clone Wars. Um, yeah. The 2008, of course, because like the mediums are different, right? And they're still like developing the technology. But like what you, the choreography and like the fluidness and the um, complicatedness <laughs> of the choreography and the fighting and, and even like the the space battles and stuff in volume one of this is like entirely comparable to like season seven of, you know, like 2020s, The Clone Wars. And I think that, I think that's what really stood out to me about volume one. Like I said, I prefer volume two. I think it's like more interesting. I think most people do. Um, yeah. Cause it's like, I feel like a lot of it was like fighting and like looking at different planets and stuff, which I think is great. Uh, but I really like that Anakin stuff. In volume two. So good. We, we're going to talk about it in part three. Just wait. But I, I think that, I think you're onto something about the artistic style that is presented here. It, it they're showing off, right? About how, like, the fights are beautiful, the explosions are beautiful, the art is gorgeous. I think overall it's great. And I think there's something really cool about the silence that exists in yeah. the series that I don't think we see anywhere else in Star Wars, honestly. And it really makes you zero in on how gorgeous the sets are, the shots are, everything about this. I'm like you, like, even when I was younger and I would watch these, I would be like, okay, fast forward for the Anakin and Padme stuff. And there isn't even that much in volume one. It's like in the beginning and the Padme snow bunny costume, which, oh my God, let's talk about that for a second because iconic. that, that it is iconic. It is, <laughs> it is iconic. It is. Pa- Padme fans know, like you can go to Star Wars Celebration and find so much merchandise with Padme in this, in the, um, in the snowsuit. I say snow bunny because that's what it's like technically called. And I feel like that's a little misogynistic a little. in this way. Yeah. I, and I, I've always, wa- it's so cute, but I've always wanted to buy like a figure of her, but I always felt like it was like kind of weirdly sexualized, but I don't know. Is someday maybe. And I think that it's really interesting because I feel like that the, the impact that that costume had was somehow like just as much as, her costumes in the films and it always Mm kind of blew me away when her scenes in volume one were like I think a total of like four minutes honestly (laughs) of uh her and Yoda which honestly pretty interesting I liked that part I didn't even remember it um until we watched it and I was like you know what this is a good part what do you think about that part I felt myself going, this is kind of problematic. Yeah. I <laughs> I mean, and it, it was funny because you were talking about how the Jedi seem not – corrupt's not the right word. Maybe not quite as lost yeah, in this or yeah. like they have a better grip on what's going on. Then we – and then the flip side of that though is like in this scene that you're talking about with Yoda and Panaka and Padme and they're going to go rescue Luminara and Barris, and um, Yoda's like, we got to go. And Panaka's like – that's not what we're here for. <laughs> Yoda's like, no, we got to Like, he's like, I'm going to take uh, priority here. Like, I'm going to take that from you. 
Padme, which is not unlike what they do in The Phantom yeah. Menace and in Attack of the Clones, which yeah. is, you know, of course, part of the problem of Yoda and the Jedi Council always being like, we know best and we're not really going to listen to you in this moment but when he starts jedi mind tricking panaka i was like oh <laughs> which this scene is played for humor obviously it's not meant to be taken very seriously as i think it like if that scene were present in the actual films i think it would be taken a lot more seriously and yeah. treated seriously like in the context of the film whereas in this like padme she's kind of like smirking at yoda and she's like all right yoda like let's go on a rescue <laughs> yeah, mission she's definitely like cutesy padme in she this is. part which yeah I, i'm I, I kind of enjoyed that part. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. I think it's it's fun. Well, I I loved the as I felt myself cringing and I was like, it's okay, Caitlin. But I love the part <laughs> when Yoda is leaving and Pammy's like, I'm coming with you. And he's like, You really don't need to do that. And she's like, I totally am. And he's like, No. And they have this pause and he's like, Call you I will if I need <laughs> help. And she's like, Okay. <laughs> I, I i'm with you where really I, I felt yeah i felt myself cringing a little bit too i just don't think that would be written today but it was still no it was yeah <laughs> still it was. enjoyed it yeah anyway the, to sorry about the padme digression i just had to talk about the snow bunny padme because it's great again That's if you've been outfit. to a convention you know especially if you went to a convention between like in the early aughts late aughts let's talk a little bit about anakin because even before this uh we were started recording keelan and i were talking about the voice actor bit of this Anakin and seeing this Anakin, which I feel like is pretty in line with how I would assume Anakin would be after Attack of the Clones. Like, uh, no changes for me. I feel like I would give no notes. Like, that's exactly what I think he would be. <laughs> and I think that the Anakin in Dave Filoni's Clone Wars actually surprised me about how, like, soft he is. And I'm, like, obsessed with that Clone Wars Anakin. But this one, I feel like, is just in line with the Attack of the Clones Anakin, who is competitive, rash, and um, I'm not saying that's not how Matt Lanter's portrayal or his character in the Clone Wars was, but I think in this portrayal of Anakin is very much like Attack of the Clones Anakin. And it's interesting because his voice actor sounds just like Hayden. It's weird. When Caitlin and I were talking about how Matt Lanter honestly doesn't really sound that much like Hayden Christensen, but we've all become really used to that, you know? And I think he did a really good job. And this Anakin is like, has a lot to learn. And I feel like that was good to see, especially if this is supposed to happen like immediately after Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I think that comparing the two Anakins is a really interesting discussion, not in who is better than the other, but just in, yeah, again, like the goals of this series or, or like how they wanted to portray Anakin. Because ironically, the Anakin of this series, his his voice actor is named Matt Lucas. And then, of course, we have Matt Lantner for uh, the 2008 3D Clone Wars. And I just they're both named Matt's, but Matt Lucas is with one T. Anyway, uh, I just kind of think these we gained these a kinda, T, lost a Lucas, but gained another Lucas. Like it's see, just really confusing. The, the coincidences between some of these things just I, I really enjoy it. I'm like, you know, the universe is at play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, this Matt Lucas, I think he sounds just like Hayden Christensen. And I was reading he hasn't done like a ton of work even around this this time period and, and after. But he played uh, Anakin in the video games that were going on around this time period, too, during the prequels. I think he, like, 
won an award or like was um, highly praised for just how much he sounded like Hayden Christensen. And you're right in this volume in particular, he is so a uh, teenage attack of the yeah. clones, Hayden Christensen, like to a T and even the facial expressions too. I think it's really fascinating because I would say that like this version of Anakin, the animated, like the look of him matches you know, Hayden Christensen a lot more than the 2008 one. You know, like this Anakin is taller, he's leaner, he's got the longer face. Whereas Anakin of the 2008 version, he is like, he's broader. I like if I had to put them next to each other, I would say he's shorter, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I just think they come across very differently. And um, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, because my question was, it was like, oh, why, why didn't they bring Matt Lucas into the 2008 version, especially because we have James Arnold Taylor who played Obi-Wan in both, both versions. Um, so what was the, what was the reasoning behind that? And we couldn't really find a lot online, but we did find what else, a Reddit thread <laughs> that <laughs> kind of alluded to, again, like what are the goals of these Anakins? And if I'm looking at the voices of Matt Lucas and Matt Lantner, I think Matt Lantner has an overall warmer voice, like a lower tone, a warmer voice, a more comforting voice, I think, than what we saw of Matt Lucas's Anakin. You know, and I think the purpose, like when you factor in someone like Ahsoka that George wanted to do, that warmness, I think, was something that was really necessary for that portrayal of the character. And even also the George coming into the 2008 Clone Wars, knowing it was going to be longer, of course, like 22 minute episodes across multiple seasons with the ultimate goal of getting to know Anakin better and in a lot of ways making him a more tragic hero because... Like, this is where you get to really know and love Anakin and Obi-Wan and their relationship. And you just have that time to explore it more. And I think if you, if I were George and Dave looking at these voices, again, I don't know Matt Lucas's work, but I'd be like, oh, Matt Lanner is like the warmer voice. Like, I feel, I don't know. It just like it comes off more comforting. And I'm sure you would even said like maybe like with screen tests with Ashley Eckstein, if that happened, like. They probably just sounded like he sounded more older brother to Ahsoka than maybe Matt Lucas did. And I don't know. I think I just think it's interesting to compare because I both think they did a great job. But you look at it on the surface level and it's like, well, Matt Lucas sounds like so much more like Hayden Christensen. Why wouldn't you? But then you kind of start to think about it more and you're like, oh, maybe it was just this reason. And I don't know. Well, you think about how. Ahsoka's portrayal and like the, her beginnings in that series were to be the younger one, one who was snippy and honestly younger. She has the younger voice. She could come off as whiny sometimes, I guess. I don't know. But it, that Anakin cannot also be that, you know? Anakin can't be the younger one like he can be in this version of Clone Wars, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that just to have those two at play, it makes sense why. Matt Lanter was brought in. I think Matt Lanter is an excellent Anakin and I love his portrayal. Yeah. But I think that it's also we're op- like the animators here are operating off of what they knew in Attack of the Clones. Like they didn't even know that Anakin would turn out to be like the Anakin in Attack of the Clones is different than the Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. And that is because of the Clone Wars, right? And like we're supposed to understand that that he's grown, he doesn't have the braid anymore, his hair's longer, he has a scar, all these things that have happened to him. And they're answering that question, but they didn't even know when the animated started. 
that that question needed to be answered about like his overall look because it was still being developed, you know? (laughs) And I I think that that's really interesting too, because so from the standpoint of the series, it's like, okay, the only Anakin we know is Anakin in The Phantom Menace and Anakin in Attack of the Clones. So that's what we're operating with. And we're given the same sort of character beats that we are given in Attack of the Clones. I, I meaning like he runs off to chase Ventress um, without Obi-Wan's approval. It's exactly basically what happens in um, Attack of the Clones. We knew that was like, that's Anakin to a T, um, at least in this time period when he's a Padawan. Um, Anakin getting in like angry pretty easily. I think that that's obviously in Dave Filoni's Clone Wars as well. But these are the sort of like highlights that we get in this part of the volume, right? Um, of this volume. And like those zoom ins of his eyes, like getting angrier and angrier, I feel like are, I don't know, they are kind of like uh, seared in my brain, honestly, because I think that's what um, the animators and the story, like, I think that's what Tartakovsky was trying to get at was, okay, how do we get him? Because we know he's going to turn to the dark side in 2005's Revenge of the Sith, but here we are in 2002, 2003 making the series. And how do we show that evolution? And that's how they do it, (laughs) you know, in these quick uh, highlighted points of him making brash decisions and him looking angry, you know, it just makes sense. (laughs) I think that more than even the transition to the dark side, I think that I would almost argue that Tartakovsky focused more on Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship and like the transition of it, because I think that. I think that volume one, like you've been saying, it's it's pretty seamless, the characterization of Anakin, I think, going from Attack of the Clones to uh, volume one of the, I almost mm-hmm. said to Revenge of the Sith, but um, from Attack of the Clones to volume one, he, he exhibits all those characteristics we've talked about, and they really kind of highlight his, I, would, I hesitate to say tension, but just like that teenage rebellious nature pushing up against obi-wan's very by the books nature and that scene that you're kind of referencing i I assume it's this scene but when obi-wan is like you better not go after ventress like it's not worth it she's baiting you she wants to get you alone you're following her trap and anakin doesn't even say anything he just like goes you see his eye oh actually no he does so you see his eyes narrow and he just looks so angry and then he goes I'm sorry, Master. The connection's breaking up. And then he just turns <laughs> it off. And it's, it's a perfect um, Anakin, Hayden Christensen line of that, you know, that like kind of monotone delivery. And it's it's very kind of sinister. <laughs> but uh, it is just, it's like that calm, boiling anger. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's really great. But then yeah. the, the transition... And I can't remember because I watched these all together. So I'm kind of forgetting where the cutoff was. But seeing Obi-Wan be very kind of strict with Anakin or try to be chastise him a lot about what he's doing or the choices that he's making. And you see that kind of that that friction between them. But then as soon as it's like no one can talk about my little brother except for me. Right. Kind of vibe, I think, because as soon as the council is like, we can't make him a knight. Obi-Wan is like, no. We should. And here's a laundry list of why, because he's the best. I love him so much. What are you doing? He's got all of these challenges. Make him a knight. (laughs) Yeah, that's in volume two. But I still think because it's like part of Anakin as a Padawan, I think it's it's okay to include that in this conversation because you're right. That is (laughs) it's so good. 
it, it uh, yeah I, I loved it because I was like oh you know I forgot kind of how harsh Obi-Wan is with Anakin in this series and then you know it's in volume two but immediately when when the council is like yeah I don't know and he's like what what, what? this is this is yeah. my battle on this is my favorite this is this is my favorite boy <laughs> I think you see some of that in the newer Clone Wars, um, but because we're talking about it now, let's just talk about it now. The knighting ceremony is like part of one of my favorite things about this entire series as a whole. I think it's so well done. It really sort of encapsulates why I think this series is so beloved is because I think they really captured the emotions of like how you'd expect a knighting ceremony, like the art and the emotions that go into that. I like that Anakin is like caught off guard. He's surprised. And then there's all that, that formal like lightsabers in a circle situation. And I feel like that um, image has honestly even worked its way into how the art is done for the high Republic. Even like it really did inform how, all, us fans kind of thought about how what a knighting ceremony would look like and i mean of course i think it, it draws upon like uh the traditional knights like the medieval knights um of like using a lightsaber you know in place of a sword because they're the same thing um and i i think that it, the show does such a beautiful job of that it's like it really is there's like a couple of lasting moments of this series that have kind of stuck stuck with me for for a really really long time like 15 years and that's one of them and i think this i'll just name them that one um anakin in the cave um which in my head has the same we'll talk about that um (laughs) anakin in the cave uh anakin and padme with the hands on each like the like uh, Anakin's in the Starfighter, Padme's in her home, and they're waving goodbye to each other, basically, but there's just hands. Um, and then, honestly, the light going off on Naboo. <laughs> Always like, what yeah. the heck? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm still shocked that they even did that, and well, it was just great. And C-3PO strip tease, too. Uh, obviously. I, I mean, how yeah. could you forget? <laughs> yeah. And I think the like everything Ventress, we haven't yeah. even talked about her. Let's talk yeah. about her because her reveal, first off, so good. I completely forgot how good this was when she's like hidden as a spy and her cloak comes down. I, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot it was her. I thought it was Sidious at first. I don't know I about did you. Too. Yeah, yeah, I did, too. And I so this is Ventress's first appearance. And obviously she has a huge role in the newer Clone Wars. And I always thought that it was interesting because her fight with Anakin in the series is like lauded as one of the best animated fights ever. And for a good reason, it's, it's really good. But I always thought it was interesting because in the new Clone Wars, they really played up the tension between Ventress and Obi-Wan. Like that was their dynamic. And in the 2D animated version, it's like Anakin versus Ventress. And that never really came back around in the, the new series. And I always thought that was interesting. It was like almost like they left this one to be preserved for like how perfect it was and like let Obi-Wan and Ventress have like a sparring match and a continual sparring match, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because we see Obi-Wan tell Anakin, you know, not to do it, uh, not to go after who ends up being Ventress. Um, and then in the Clone Wars, I think it's, it's Anakin who in a similar vein tells us so good not to go after. Is it Ventress? I know. 
I know she fights, Ahsoka fights Grievous early on in the Clone Wars, and I want to mm-hmm. say she also fights Ventress early on in the Clone Wars, too. I think she does. Uh, yeah, I but think I can't remember does. it as well as the Grievous one. But I think it's kind of that similar, like, master telling apprentice not to go after someone who is obviously stronger than them or pulling them into a trap. But yeah, you're right. It is such an interesting switch of like making that Obi-Wan's kind of running thread or one of his running threads throughout the Clone Wars uh, when that was very much like a, a like a big component of this series with Anakin and Ventress. And it's even more interesting too because they famously always talk about how Anakin could never meet Grievous in yeah. the Clone Wars. So it's like, yeah. why wouldn't they like, quote unquote, give him Ventress as yeah. his... Uh, kind of continual sparring partner on the dark side i think we know the answer to that and it's the chemistry it's the it's the trash talking it's so it's, good it's the, it's the tension the it's flirting. the tension yeah the, oh man <laughs> this is your this is your reminder to go read dark disciple if you haven't yes yes <laughs> anyway it it is a perfect fight and her design she looks like I don't know how it's possible but like in each version of Ventress she just she always just looks so badass and she I'm like I trust you with my life and also fear for my life when I'm with you yes (laughs) and I I thought her interactions with Dooku one great Dooku content but I thought her interactions with Dooku were really great and of course you know Sidious is there as well, and uh, they send her after the Chosen One, Anakin. And I think you, for as short as this is, you really get a lot of good Sidious scenes of him manipulating things and kind of being in the shadows. Like, they really feature Palpatine a lot, uh, more than I remembered, honestly, especially in Volume 1. Of course, Volume 2 is like his kidnapping, but Volume 1 had more Sidious than I kind of remembered. And they really, (laughs) I love some of his facial expressions. Yeah, in this where he'll like give a suggestion and then you'll see him like smirk in the background. (laughs) I know it's so devious. It really is. But when he, of course, tells Dooku that, um, you know, she's merely an instrument to bring forth the eradication of the Jedi. It's a great moment. One of the things that I thought was interesting that Ventress said is she, Dooku tells her to go after Anakin and he like tells her, you know, he's a Jedi and it's part, I'm just always thinking like, doesn't everyone know who the Jedi are? And like, I think I've always believed that Anakin Skywalker is like on the news every night. (laughs) So like everyone knows who he is. And Ventress is like, oh, who is that? You know, always a Jedi. Oh, and she says that the Jedi are a fading light, which I think is an interesting way to describe the Jedi, especially in this time period. I don't know, kind of always thinking about the Jedi's reputation and how Tartakovsky kind of thought about their perception in the galaxy now and that he would have Ventress say that they're a fading light. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think she's not wrong either. Yeah. Their light is fading out. Um, interesting. The sunset of the Jedi. Yeah. Upon. Yeah, I just that's that's interesting. I love the fight. I want to talk a little bit about the fight here because there's some good parallel moments between Luke and Anakin in this but also i think at the end when anakin loses control and really like got gets really angry with ventress um you can tell he's losing control because the ground kind of erupts underneath him and cracks and that separates ventress and him and 
it has you get that beautiful shot of like the red moon behind Anakin. It's like it's so well animated. It's amazing. But that whole thing about like the separation of like the ground cracking and it stops Anakin from going too far. It reminds me of Rey and Kylo in The Force Awakens. And I, I think that we always talk about when that scene is happening, when Rey uh, similarly almost loses control and like almost kills Kylo, you know, on Starkiller Base. And kind of, you know, slices open his face and things like that and really harnesses the force. And the ground open up, opens up and separates them. And I don't know. I, I think it's interesting to note these moments of potentially the force interacting with the ground and separating this to stop whatever like cataclysmic event could possibly that could possibly unfold, like turning to the dark side, going too far, th- things like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Another thing I wanted to talk about is I, I've seen a lot of people, at least online recently, talking about how Grievous's characterization in this version of the Clone Wars is radically different than the Grievous that we see in Revenge of the Sith. And I think that's interesting. I don't really have much to add to it because I think it's true. Like the Grievous in this cartoon is aggressive and like very evil (laughs) and like very like almost like rabid in his movements you know and I don't really think you get that in the live action version but I think we can probably uh talk a little bit about how like that's a stylistic choice to kind of scare the Jedi and um I don't know I think he does prove to be like a a harsh threat uh in revenge of the sith like that's not really the purpose of the movie to show grievous as like a super huge threat he's just another like piece on the chessboard that needs to be taken out like the leader of the droid army of course there's going to be a leader of the droid army you know what i mean it was like a a move to get obi-wan off of the planet to go defeat him in utapau and also that they needed to interact with him in the very beginning to even introduce that he is a threat in revenge of the sith right so those are just like story reasons but I see a lot of people mention that in, at least in volume one, there's this like one Padawan when Grievous is introduced that looks like almost like Shaggy in Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I think it's interesting because he, he almost looks like Anakin too. Like all the other um, Jedi there are alien species and he's the only, I, I believe, I can't remember, but he's like the one that really, he sticks out. Okay. He really sticks out. I think it's interesting because I think he looks like Anakin for a reason. Like he looks like a scared Anakin. He's another Padawan. They refer to him as a Padawan. And he has these like extremely brash movements that end really poorly for him. He dies. And I think that's like it's another, it's a sort of like a cautionary tale of like, see, this is what would happen if Anakin, number one, wasn't like actually such a good fighter because he does this kind of stuff all the time where he would make like a brash decision and it would end badly. And I think we see that with Ventress, but Anakin is a better Jedi, I, I assume. Um, so, but again, I, I do think it's a it's a little bit of a cautionary tale, and I thought that was interesting. It was such a I forgot about the scene where that Padawan dies. It's kind of shocking. It's kind of yeah. He runs out, and I go, "Oh, he's gone!" And then before I even finish the sentence, he was gone. Yeah, Grievous like smashes him, smashes, yeah, just step, crushes him like a bug. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. And all yeah. the other Jedi are in the cave, like, <gasps> yeah, and they're like they're visibly sweating. And I was like, oh my god, this yeah. is so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pre- the presentation of Grievous is 
is interesting to compare because yeah you're right like they even talk about like like grievous is the distraction to hide so much of palpatine's plan and if you just distract them with grievous enough then you can basically get away with whatever you want and that's exactly what happens and i think that's still what happens in the clone wars and also the 2008 version and also in you know revenge of the sith yeah i just to round out my point there i mean to say that in this version of the clone wars in this particular moment grievous is like the ultimate threat to the jedi because it's like an unknown and it's a a new foe a droid leader when in revenge of the sith that's not necessarily the case like we're supposed to think he's evil and everything like that but he's really just a pawn and we're supposed to be unloading the fact that palpatine is really the true evil so those two things are sort of at odds with each other when in the micro series they're really not at odds yeah you really do see him go toe-to-toe with the jedi and you know kill a padawan with no hesitation (laughs) and then even the scene where he has it's just like the the helicopter basically the the pre-helicopter lightsaber just (laughs) he's just spitting and spitting and the other jedi are like whoa (laughs) (laughs) and also seeing him like it, it was almost like a transformer scene where he his his armor or what like the uh, metal just kind of like snaps into place it was it was crazy it was jarring yeah 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 it's crazy okay let's talk about volume two because i think we're all itching to talk about it listen big deal you got another problem women always figure out the truth always okay so welcome to part three where we're talking about volume two i know it's confusing but here we are um, so, uh, let's talk, let's start right in the beginning. Okay. So I think we know that because these episodes were originally presented as longer, they, and they had, they were given insider information about Revenge of the Sith plot details and everything like that. We have, um, we have like a really interesting story that is unfolding in this part. So let's talk about the themes that are presented in this prequel to Revenge of the Sith. I think kind of backing up a little bit, I don't know if we said this, but I believe that uh, Gedney received the crawl. I think that was a big thing of what he received. And then he also talked about receiving uh, like early animatics of like the ships and stuff like that. I don't know how much he how much else he did or did not receive from Revenge of the Sith. But I think those were the like the big things. It was the crawl and then ships (laughs) ships and stuff so but the thing is you know i feel like revenge of the sith as we remember is the movie that had a live stream on set so i i imagine if gedney was like hey could i have this lucas the spoilers were not really sure here you go or check the live stream tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) so but i think that this this uh, whole volume gets, you know, gets a lot more weird, which is, of course, some of our favorite parts of Star Wars. And we get, you know, a deeper look at kind of Anakin's character and his the tra- we've already kind of touched on this, but the transition of his relationship with Obi-Wan, with Padme as well, his relationship to the Force, come of th- some of that evil foreshadowing. And of course, we get a lot of, again, I forgot how much good Palpatine content there is in this, but mm-hmm. we get a lot of that good Palpatine content. Oh my God. I can't believe we haven't even talked about Shakti in this uh, so far, but I love her design. So in cute. This. I, it's <laughs> so, so cute. cute. I just, 
I love it so much. Her the voice too is like the voice for Shakti. I think it's great. Funny to know, and just like a, a sad sign of the times. I'm pretty sure there was only one or two women voice actresses in yeah. this. I actually think it's just one, and she played. I know she played Padme and Shakti, the voice yep. actress. Anyway, <laughs> always great to have more women in things. Yep. Speaking of Shakti, I think something that's interesting is that this ending of volume two plays into the deleted scene version of Revenge of the Sith, where Grievous murders Shakti in front of the Jedi, like through the heart. Do you remember that? Um, And I think I'm like trying to remember. It's been like just a honestly, it hasn't been that long. We just watched um, Siege of Mandalore, but uh, I think it like recanonized that. I can't remember, but Shakti being part of that. So it was it's interesting because like the yeah. final cut of Revenge of the Sith kind of changed a little bit from what was presented in, in this story. Obi-Wan, I believe, if I'm remembering it correctly, Obi-Wan tells Ahsoka that Shakti died. And I think that's yes how it like Grievous. I think he says Grievous killed Shakti. Yeah, that's kind of how they ra- rationalize it. Yeah, they we don't see any of that. I think it's uh, that like hollow conversation where Obi-Wan is a hologram with Ahsoka. I right. think that's anyway, that's where I think it is. Like, you know how we talk about how the the Clone Wars altogether just gives you so much more sympathy and like really hits home how sad Order 66 is? Yeah. I think that this series also does that for the limited amount of time that it has, because all throughout volume two, we see the Jedi, Shakti, and I can't remember who the other Jedi is, but we see Shakti and the other Jedi like so insistent on saving the Chancellor. And they're Mm -hmm. really, they're like pulling him along. They're trying to get him to come with them. Um, They're conveying to him how dangerous the situation is they're putting their life on the line and we get a lot of scenes actually of them like pleading with Palpatine to come with them and also uh of springing into action when they know that it's Palpatine who's in danger we even see the conversation between Mace and Yoda which this conversation between Mace and Yoda when they're fighting in Coruscant but having like a very calm conversation while their lightsabers are swinging wildly around them, <laughs> I think was just really fun. Where they where they're basically like, oh, it's a it's all a ruse. Like they're not. No one is attacking the temple. That's kind of that's kind of suspicious. And Mace is like, it is suspicious. Almost like they're distracting us. And then like a light bulb over their head, they go Palpatine, and they realize that that is the true end game here. Of course, that's not the real end game, but. Um, that's what they're made to believe. And I just think that I I was so sympathetic towards these Jedi, even more so, I think, um, because we don't really get this story in in either Revenge of the Sith or the 2008 Clone Wars of the Jedi actively going out of their way to protect Palpatine. And I don't know, just kind of knowing that it's all a ruse and that Palpatine is more than willing to sacrifice them instantaneously. In fact, that's his goal is to kill them. And yeah. It makes me sad because because Shakti is so cute and mm-hmm. she is she's just doing whatever it takes. And I don't know. I, I found the like Palpatine's actual kidnapping to be like a really compelling part of this story and to see him going head to head um, like standing head to head against Grievous and knowing that Grievous is kind of in the dark about all of this, too. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I thought it was really interesting and. Um, even with like our nesting order marathon that gave kind of a big highlight to Palpatine I, in a way that I hadn't really 
anticipated. I think that this volume two also gives a lot of screen time and emphasis on Palpatine's role. And of course, I think some of that, it's not that it's missing from the prequel trilogy, but this just really kind of emphasizes it even more um, to the point where you, like you actively see Palpatine smirking and laughing behind people's backs about what he's doing. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, it's heightened. um, I feel like a lot of, I think that it, this volume two takes what Revenge of the Sith does like in the first hour and heightens them for like a a younger audience or like a cartoon based form. At least that's what I think. Like it takes the conflict of how do we make, how do we push Anakin further to the dark side? What's at stake for him? And how do we show that he's a hero and also kind of test him um, in the same way that Luke was tested by his desires and things like that? I feel like you could pull even a lot of it if you don't understand or like if George wasn't divulging what exactly happened in Revenge of the Sith when this was being created. Like there's enough parallel to Luke's own journey, especially in um, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, that makes sense for what's at stake for Anakin in this. Um, and then also you're like, okay, so how do we push the evilness of Palpatine even further while also involving how in the dark the Jedi are while also making them seem like heroes? And also how do we show Obi-Wan and Anakin's friendship because we have to stop like portraying them as adversaries because we have to heighten the tragedy of what happens in the end in Revenge of the Sith. And all of that is done, I think, in the first beginning of um, Revenge of the Sith as well, but getting getting this background information is pretty valuable and it's it's really nice. Um, let's talk about the entire cave situation with Anakin and the retrieval of. Do we know what planet this is called? I can't remember. Oh, I don't. It's in the outer rim, though. I think. Yeah, where Anakin is sort of chosen to bring back the men from being manipulated by is it the banking clan? Yeah, I don't remember. It, to me, what is so like impactful about this entire storyline is that number one, it's super weird. Like Caitlin mentioned in the beginning, like this is so interesting <laughs> because it's so weird. But it's also pretty metaphorical. Like I think that you can take a lot from those cave paintings and with the way Anakin is tested and the way he returns with the loved ones and he saves them and. A, like unity is restored. Uh, I think that even you can, you can compare that to what happens in Revenge of the Sith and realize that like he messed up, you know, <laughs> like he had a similar assignment and he didn't, he messed up, you know? And I think that with like the, the cave paintings of it all too, like it, it springs to mind, like, you know, I think we, we always talk about how Star Wars is a myth and, it takes all the it's like it's it is modern myth and it's taking all these different pieces of technology in order to tell a story that can be passed on from generation to generation and when we talk about when cave paintings um appear in star wars i'm instantly reminded that that's one of if not the first form of written communication and how that is now part of the cycle of storytelling within star wars too i just think it's really cool and i know that's like almost applying too much thought into it but I just appreciate that I think that there's like this story being told through cave paintings and the story I've watched this part so many times because I think it's really interesting with 
the the cave painting of it all with like the hand being removed and then the hand taking over the body and how the hand is like corrupting them and how Anakin can feel that sort of um, similarity and like whether or not this cave painting uh, describes the chosen one prophecy and how that all fits in with Anakin while also applying it to like also applying the same metaphor to what's happening to the men who are being manipulated and like turned into weapons you know i think all of this is really parallel in a sort of um not the easiest way to describe like i don't think it's like a one-to-one parallel but some of it is um of like what happens to anakin when he it burns alive in Revenge of the Sith and he's taken to become an instrument for Palpatine's own gain. And like, is there humanity left in there? And of course there is. And just the same way that Anakin discovers that here and he like frees them of their uh, like corruption and re- restores their humanity. Right. I think that's exactly what happens with Luke and Anakin and unity is restored in in Return of the Jedi because he comes back to the good side. But all of that, I think, is wrapped up in this, like, really, like, quiet story that just feels really heavy for a 10-minute episode, you know? (laughs) What do you think? It flows really well with... With all, with all of that going on, right? The metaphor, the foreshadowing of it being Anakin, how it relates to where Anakin and Obi-Wan are in the story of rescuing the men who have been captured and turned into agents of evil. So I like it all, it all connects on kind of different levels. Uh, you're right in like a very, very short time period. <laughs> but yeah, I think the cave painting is the, the cave painting sequence is something that this series is very well known for like i think you said earlier the standout moments from it and i think this is definitely it because we don't have something entirely similar within the clone wars 2008 but this is very much like the weirdness that we see in mortis it's very similar of course like in worlds yeah and in mortis like anakin of course sees his future uh as vader but he forgets it and we kind of get the same thing here too where we see that imprint of vader vader's face at the end of this cave painting coming to life and i don't know i think the design of it is is so cool and that's like what's so great about this series is the overall design of it and i think that the cave painting sequence it it's just it's really special it really does stand out in the grander scheme of things and it does make me think a lot about mortis and even there's like a scene in it where the hand turns into a bird creature mm-hmm. and is holding on to two people um, two of the other villagers, and that totally reminded me of Mortis and when Anakin is trying to rescue Ahsoka and Obi-Wan from son and daughter. And I don't know. And then the way that you see it continually grow and grow and grow. And I thought, like, the one thing I really like about it is that originally the hand is used the uh, is used for good. And I think I think in the in the cave painting, it like rescues the people. And then suddenly it gets a life on its own of its own and overtakes. The person and in this case Anakin and I don't know I think it's it's such a great a great piece um, a great sequence in the overall story and it works on so many different layers and I can really see George Lucas loving that a lot and again when we're thinking about the development of all of these things you see something like that and how cool and weird it is and then we think about you know the season finale of Avatar season one with Dave 
which is very much like what we will see eventually in Mortis. And those things were probably being developed around the same time and like animated around the same time. And they're very kind of, they're presenting similar ideal ideas. And uh, I'm sure George was really into that. And when it was time to bring someone onto the Clone Wars and you see that Dave enjoys that kind of storytelling too, and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit in that direction. I don't know. I can see it. You can kind of see more why George would pick someone like Dave especially if he really enjoyed this. Totally. I remember watching Mortis with you when it first aired and being like, oh my God, this is so similar to the cave that Anakin experiences. And um, first off, like I want to bring us back a little bit. The sequence is really great. Like when he gets those tattoos with the slugs on it, it's really gross. It's really funny. And then he's also like with Obi-Wan, like eating the bugs. It's so, it's (laughs) good. It's a good like illustration of their relationship and how like, I think we all imagine their relationship to be, even without the long-form seven-season seven 3D Clone Wars. I, I think that they did a really good job of establishing, like, Obi-Wan is the methodical one, and he, like, force pushes the the bombs in so that they can just escape that way, and they can just walk right out. And Anakin's like, oh, man, that wasn't so fun. Like, there's better ways to do this. And <laughs> I, I think <laughs> it's it's great because... To me, that's what I held on to until we got the new Clone Wars because I was like, uh, this is like, this is such a good illustration of their relationship that is so important. And I like thinking about Anakin that way. And I think um, just the o- overall, I feel like I would love to ask Dave or honestly anyone who worked on story with the Clone Wars about whether or not this whole sequence really influenced them and in what ways it did. Because I think we mentioned before, like, people love this series. It's so beloved that I can't imagine that it didn't have any sort of bearing on the writer's room during this time. And it's just so reminiscent of seeing when you see that Darth Vader helmet in the cave painting, it's just like even the same color palette, honestly, in Mortis when Anakin is experiencing those visions that he eventually forgets. But yeah, and you hear Padme's scream at the end of both both of those visions and in Revenge of the Sith, too. But. Yeah, it's so, I don't know, it's really interesting. But I think that all these moments of Anakin being tempted and these stories that I don't think go over his head, it's just like, how can you know your future until you're experiencing your future? You know, um, they're all warnings. Um, I think something that this series does really well, and something I think we've been getting at during this entire run of this episode, is how the show, it's short form, right? So it's like distills down a lot of the Star Wars, like the biggest lessons, the biggest beats that it has to hit in a different way than other series do, especially when there's like arcs and uh, long form expression of a story. But I always appreciated how the story was like at the end, it was like, no, the decisions are what shape our destiny. They all they said that a couple times in the series. And I feel like that's, you know, one of the major thesis statements of Star Wars. And it was what the the dialogue is so few and far between in the series and when they do speak it's usually important you know it usually has bearing on what you're supposed to take out of the volume or the this set of episodes as a whole yeah and you know another word for decision is the choice you make and yep. we talk about all that talk about that all the time but personal choice is a huge factor in where we get where we're going in, mm-hmm. in, ev- in everything, and especially clear in Star Wars. One of the things that I thought was worth talking about is 
So in one of the behind the scenes features, Gendy said that he's talking about volume two and he says that Star Wars is about reveals, which immediately I perked up because I was like, that's an interesting word. Do I agree with that? And I wonder if he meant more so connections because what he and and if he when he said Star Wars is about reveals, if he meant more the series that they were working on or Star Wars in general. I don't know. It was kind of unclear. But nonetheless, I thought it was an interesting word choice, kind of no matter what he was talking about. Because when we think about reveals, I don't know, I think it's kind of like a touchy subject (laughs) in fandom of reveals. But then he starts talking about examples like, oh, we get to reveal how 3PO got his gold plating and we get to reveal a little bit of Cody, Commander Cody's relationship with Obi-Wan. And I was like, oh, well, those don't really feel like reveals to me, but rather connections. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I said, I think this is such kind of a touchy topic in Star Wars and definitely wouldn't have been in the same way back in 2003. But nowadays of... Maybe I don't want something that's so connected, or maybe I want things that are more connected. And I don't know. I just kind of wanted to see what you thought. Like, do you think Star Wars is about reveals or connections? I don't know. I think that's really hard because yeah, I don't think he would use the same word today because I think reveals has a connotation of, I don't know. I, I feel like well, it it's, makes me think it, of, of like Ray Palpatine. Yeah, or like I am your father and things like that. I don't think Star Wars yeah. is about that. Yes, yeah, Star Wars contains that, but it's not what it's about. I think for me, I think that this show, Gendy and crew were able to have points of connectivity that George was just uninterested in explaining <laughs> in general. <laughs> like it, it was ne- continuity is not George Lucas's thing. It's like whatever I can do to tell the story that makes the most sense. Great. Like he was like, I don't need to tell how Leia remembers Padme. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. All, like all of these things, it, just as long as you, it's a means to an end to tell an overall myth, right? You can fill in the blanks as you wish. And I think this what that quote kind of means is here I am to fill in those blanks because there are bigger reveals that need to be that need to happen in the movie itself, which is I think the ultimate reveal was how does Anakin turn to the dark side? Yeah, and I I, I know you agree with that. For me, I just feel like yeah, I'm a little triggered by that word. Don't like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I do think Star Wars is about connection. Whether it's connection with another person, whether it's connection to like the overall story or whether it's connection to like the politics of it all. I do think Star Wars is about connection because I think Star Wars is about love. So all of those things kind of mean the same thing, you know, and uh, can they they can mean the same thing in different contexts. Yeah, I totally agree. I. Yeah, I just thought it was a Star Wars is about reveals. I was like, oh. Is it? <laughs> well, and then also you think about his point of view about like the merchandising set that we just talked about in the beginning of the episode about like, yeah, he does get to be the first to reveal like this character that might be a worldwide successful toy. Like all of those things are part of it. And that's part of the Star Wars journey. And I, I hate to discount any of that. And I don't want to. I, n- I never want to because I think it's just as important as some other things because it's all part of the journey of like being a Star Wars fan, honestly. I think you're right, though. He wouldn't I don't think he would describe it the same way today. Placing it in the context of when this came out, this is one of the first things that's really being made 
to like insert itself into a relatively small chunk of the timeline. I don't know. Yeah, it, it kind of makes you wonder their mindset when thinking about some of these things. And yeah, I don't know. It was just an interesting quote and I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, let's talk about some other things that I really loved and you love too. Um, because I think that the Anakin and Padme scene in this is pretty iconic. First off, because of the 3PO gold plate reveal, which is just hilarious. And I love everyone's expression when that happens. Um, I think we all focus on like the music when 3PO like takes off the cloak and reveals his like gold plated chest, which I think (laughs) is so funny. But Padme is like, so proud of herself and then Anakin is like nice like that's great like they're none of them are phased by this like reveal they're just like yes like this is awesome and I think it really speaks to Anakin's character as like a builder and like as you know basically the the creator of C-3PO2 he's like oh my god all these upgrades (laughs) Padme's like so happy for herself (laughs) I love when they're you know making out in the alleyway and then they pull apart and Anakin hears a voice and he, you see him stick his head out of the alley. He's like, oh, man, it's 3PO. 3PO. <laughs> yeah. And, and Pammy's like, oh, 3PO. And Anakin's like, ugh. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, it's very Han Leia. But it is. It's, it is. it's, yeah. it's still great. I, yeah. I love it. And I just think it's really sweet that when Anakin is knighted and loses his braid, it's cut off like violently by that lightsaber. I... I think it's really sweet that Padme carries it. And I remember when you were younger, you were like, that's weird. That's strange. (laughs) But I actually really like it. Now I think it's sweet. But you got (laughs) to remember as a brand new Star Wars fan diving into (laughs) to this right off the bat. It was kind of a lot. I'm just trying to remember everyone's name. And then there's a droid doing a striptease. And yeah. (laughs) And I always just, I really loved, and the show made it really clear that Anakin received R2-D2 as a gift from Padme, and Anakin gave C-3PO to Padme. And I always loved that. I thought that was always really sweet. And I think what this show does really well for, like, the very limited Anakin and Padme time that we get is just really explore, like, the sweetness and joy of their relationship, which I think is necessary and needed. Yeah, I think you, even though they're a part in those scenes, you really see them as happy and thinking about each other. Like, Padme is very clearly very proud that Anakin, like, she knows what it means to get the braid. She's very proud of that. And then to see Anakin, like, so happy when you see R2 kind of, what he's, like, loaded into his Starfighter or something like that, I think. Um, Like, you know that he knows where it's coming from. Yeah, it's like pieces of each other. I always just thought that was so nice. Yeah. I also forgot that there was that vision of Anakin as a child with Qui-Gon by the force tree in Dagobah. I don't really understand, like, why it's there, honestly, but I still really like it. I think the Anakin model is really cute. I guess it just kind of demonstrates the darkness within, I suppose, or confronting darkness or what could have been or something. What do you think about that? I I had forgotten about this too. And I think that it is kind of in our conversation from the nesting order of no one in the council really believing in Anakin. And for me, that's kind of what this scene represented of going back to the person that really brought him out of slavery and into the Jedi order 
And the person who I think Anakin probably still holds in like his darker moments of the person who like loved him the most in some ways and like in those moments when he's angry at Obi-Wan or something like that. That's kind of how I always think about Anakin's relationship to Qui-Gon. Like whenever he thinks about Qui-Gon, he's instantly nine years old again. And that's his mindset about it. There was, I can't remember the scene, but there's a line where I think Anakin kind of accuses Obi-Wan of not being like Qui-Gon yeah. in a in a moment of anger. And Obi-Wan is like, yeah, no, I'm not. And I miss I think I think actually what Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan says is like, yeah, I miss him too. And I thought that was such like a great response of Obi-Wan's like basically say, I recognize where that anger is coming from. And I know that it's one of grief and I still feel sad about it too. I thought yeah, it was a, nice it was a really healthy response and a surprising yeah. one from Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that, that that exchange would be different and maybe even exists in Clone Wars and I don't remember it, but like the newer Clone Wars, I think that if that was written today, it would not be written that way because I think they would have to show some some greater tension there. Yeah. It kind of – it did remind me of the – in Tross when Finn and Poe are arguing and Finn says – or. I think Poe says, well, I'm not Leia. And Finn says, you're damn right. You're not. Or something like yeah, that. That's, no, he, he says that's for damn sure. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kind of like that harshness there. But yeah, Obi-Wan doesn't respond that way. And I thought it was great because like that is – it's a vision or a memory, a vision, a vision combined with a memory perhaps. But it's mostly almost like the switch with Ventress. A lot of what we see from Qui-Gon is focused on Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars the 2008 we do get some Anakin and, and Qui-Gon especially on Mortis uh I think we hear Qui-Gon talk to Anakin almost as like a ghost like yeah. we don't actually see him yeah. talk to Anakin whereas we see like a fully realized vision of Qui-Gon talking to Obi-Wan just kind of another note I sort of wonder if that was put in because there was going to be a further scene of Yoda and Qui-Gon exploring the like netherworld of the Force in Revenge of the Sith with him speaking overhead. And I, I wonder if like that was supposed to be because when the scene ends, it's it's Yoda who's having those thoughts. And I wonder if like that was supposed to hint at that or sort of get at like this exploration of like this weird side of the Force that Yoda was only just beginning to learn. Um, with Qui-Gon in mind but I don't know actually I, I would again be curious there's a lot of like behind the scenes things that I would love to know about the series about like the story notes that were received from George and how much interference they had and what were their resources and what was their what were their inspirations and all these things like I would love a book on this but I don't think we'll ever get that <laughs> yeah probably not <laughs> I was pretty disappointed that you had nothing in the prequels archive book about this because it feels like yeah at least in the original trilogy archives book there's a lot on that the, these kind of supplemental materials like the Ewoks and things like that it's it surprises me that there's nothing well there's not a ton I mean there is it is there about the Ewoks and stuff but they focus the the first chapter of the prequels book is about the special editions yeah, and it doesn't touch on the Clone Wars 2008 either, so. Well, it wouldn't, but I think that in, since these were created in between during the prequels, I'm surprised that yeah. there's not more development. Yeah, insight. I thought they, they would touch on the beginning of, like, the animation department and yeah. at least, like, where things were headed, like, Same. the next five years we see Clone Wars come out, the 2008, yeah. but no, which but is okay. No. 
Yeah, it there's okay. room it's in the future. Yeah. Maybe there'll be like a whole animation archives book one day. Okay. We can dream. That would be the best thing ever. <laughs> right? Paul Duncan. Yes. Hit us up. I would love yeah. to help you with that. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Do we have anything else that we want to talk about? I feel like I have one more thing and I think you have one more thing before we wrap things up. I really just had a comment that we get some excellent Kit Fisto fighting underwater shirtless content in volume one and it's worth noting there's a lot of shirtless content we have so many shirtless jedi in this series it's pretty surprising if i'm if i'm being honest (laughs) the only person who has ever come close to matching that is ryan johnson and that was just one scene (laughs) it's interesting because i feel like this particular shirtlessness is very male gazy of like yeah Look at my macho bod. I got it in f- battle. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think that's the case even in Revenge of the Sith with um Anakin's shirtless body in Padme's own space, you know. Yeah. I think that's a it's a, that's a little different. I think it is still male gaze, but I I just it feels a little bit um less hypermasculine in a weird way. Yeah, I'm not well, really he, articulating that that well. Like he's but. in shadows and it's from a nightmare and well, not even that. It's like it's it's sort of just this um, private space, I think, of accessing Anakin in this way where you kind of get a glimpse of him in at home, basically, where in this it's like macho Jedi yeah. fighting. <laughs> you know, it's just a little yeah. different. Really good Kit Fisto content here. Lots of... Uh, Awesome. Honestly, there's just a lot of really good Jedi content here, but we, yeah. we know you never see Kit Fitzdo, so here he is. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. I was I forgot that he was in this, honestly. Or I forgot yeah. I remembered he was in it. I didn't remember he it's like the first couple minutes that he appears. I was like, oh my God, Kit Fitzdo. The underwater lightsaber. It's great. Yeah, it is great, honestly. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention, so my last thing is this is nothing, but it's something in my brain. Okay. In volume one, Anakin Starfighter is blue and white striped with like a design on it. And then his his R2 unit is red slash orange. And I swear, in my brain, those colors are Ahsoka. And yeah, I think when I watch this series now, I, I miss Ahsoka since she's one of our favorite characters and everything like that. So I was, you know, I feel like you're, you're thinking about her and everything when you watch them. At least I am. And I just think that was interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that noticed that. But his his Starfighter changes in Volume 2, obviously, when Gendy and crew get access to the new Jedi Starfighters that are appearing in um, Revenge of the Sith with the yellow one, which is like one of my favorite designs, that Jedi Starfighter. But yeah. this specific one in Volume 1 is has the same Ahsoka colors. And I don't know what to make of that. But I thought it was interesting. It's a little subconscious foreshadowing on the part of uh, Gendy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he had no idea, but he did that. He did so. that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Gendy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed this revisiting. Uh, it was like such a good way to spend the weekend. You know, I woke up and watched this. It was like, it was just so nice. I, I again, like I mentioned, I think that these are presented so well and I'll definitely be revisiting them soon. I love this vintage yeah. collection and um, this won't be the last time we're talking about stuff in the vintage collection. So I hope you're watching along too, because an upcoming episode will be on one of those things. So really excited about that. Yeah. Stay tuned. It will be very soon. 
Yes. <laughs> All right. So I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please let us know if this is the first time you've watched the Clone Wars 2D micro series um, or if you uh, hoarded files of it on your 2005 iPod like Charlotte. We would love to know. You can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Pleasure. You can also find us on SkyTalkers.com or our Instagram, our Facebook. We also have a TikTok account that we are starting to post semi-regularly on. So please go check that out and give us a follow if you're interested. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would really love if you took a second to do that. Um, It helps other people find our show and join in on the conversation with us. And if you are interested in other ways of supporting us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there and how to get involved in the Skytalkers community and on our Discord. Yes. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Christopher, Kelly, Claxton, 26, Brian, Chris, Colton, Christina, Rachel, Britt, Brittany, Alex, Emily, Anders, Aaron, Levi, Patricia, and Sophie. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.